What is the word for when you discover that one thing and then everything else makes sense? And the doors to everything open up inviting you to walk in. For some, it's kismet. For my guests, it's Avalan. I'm Susan Schwartz, your drinking companion. And this is Lush Life Podcast. Every week we are inspired to live life one cocktail at a time. Stephanie Jordan and Tim Etherington Judge had no idea that it would be Calvados they would be producing when they had the idea to make the first planet positive spirit. Now it all makes sense. For our purposes today in this our how to drink season, we three explore what Calvados is, how it's made, and why the bees are buzzing for Avalan. But before we get started, just a heads up, that the Cocktail of the Week is coming up right after we chat to Stephanie and Tim. If you live in the UK and want to buy any of the spirits I talk about, including Avalan, then head over to spiritskiosk.com, where you, as a Lush Life listener, will receive 10% off the entire site by quoting this code, A Lush Life 10 SK. That's all one word, A Lush Life 10 SK. Have fun shopping. Now, let's find out how to drink Avalan. And don't miss the birds having their say towards the end of the chat. So before we get right into Calvados, Avalan, apples, bees, all that stuff, why don't you introduce yourselves? Steph, you want to start? Yeah, sure. Well, hi there, Susan. My name is Stephanie Jordan. We like to call me Queen Bee, or I like to call me Queen Bee. So I'm the co-founder of Avalon Spirits alongside Mr. T.E.J. I have been in the drinks industry for well over 15 years. I was raised basically out of a barrel in Burgundy, France, and I am incredibly passionate about basically driving education purpose and uh, strategy in wine and spirits. Fabulous. Tim? Uh, hi, my name's Tim. I have a crazy long surname. I'm the other co-founder of Avalon and also Stephanie's tech support. I come from a, a bartending background, grew up in, in sunny Cornwall in the southwest of England. Um, super passionate about sustainability and environmental protection. So from from being a teenager, I've strapped myself to petrol pumps and campaigned and protested towards environmental protection. And so Avalon is, is an extension of that side of my personality as well. well. There's so much more to it than that, but they can listen to your histories when I interviewed you guys separately. But there must have been a time when you met, you came together and you decided to create this gorgeous product. So why don't you tell me about that? I, I we have different stories, so I'll let him lead. Death doesn't remember <laughs> when we met, ever. And every time we do interviews like this, she's like, yeah, we met at some point. So, so me and Steph first met when we were both working at Diageo. They run this giant competition called World Class. And back in 2000 something or other, it was on a boat. I think it was 2013. They held it on a boat in the Mediterranean. So it did like... Monte Carlo, Nice, uh, Saint-Tropez, Ibiza, and Barcelona. I was the global ambassador for Bullet at the time, and Steph was the Spanish reserve ambassador. Steph was chaperoning the Spanish competitor, and I was running all of the competition bars, and we met on that boat. 
And said competitor, David Rios, did actually just win the whole darn thing. Just saying. Yeah. And that's we met and we became friends and we ended up working on the same team. So Steph joined the, the global um, ambassador team as the Tanqueray ambassador. So the first female, the only global female Tanqueray ambassador in history. And, and such the friendship was born from there. How did you all come together and decide that you wanted to create Avalan or even go into Calvados? I suppose it actually happened in a really kind of serendipitous way. We, we both left Diageo around about the same time for different reasons personally, but ultimately uh, there was that kind of consistency around our values and wanting to be a little bit truer to ourselves and step into, you know, careers and, and lives that, that truly did reflect what, what we knew to be true in our hearts, right? Which is a lot of what we'll talk about with Avalon, which is this planet positivity. And it is giving back more than we take and proving this concept that there's such a thing as positive profit. And a year, but basically we're both out for about a year. Tim set, set up Healthy Hospo, which some of you will know about, a, a happier, healthier hospitality industry, a platform dedicated to the wellness of um, bartenders, et cetera, et cetera. And I was doing some consultancy with Drinking Out Loud. And I actually think Tim missed a flight, ended up spending a night over at ours in Amsterdam. We were sitting around a, a kitchen table, as you do, chewing the fat. And the kind of the idea was born. I was pretty determined that I wanted to create my own spirits brand. Tim had some ideas brewing for a while. And I mean, to quote Tim, he said, if I was to do it with anyone, you would be the only person I would ever do it with. You know, we put together our, our life savings. And Tim has 10 more years of life to me. Didn't have much more savings. <laughs> so we put the whole entire gigantic minuscule pot together. And we said, is that, is that even feasible is that is that anything at all but the you know the starting point was we were going to do something that would prove that you can do things in harmony with mother nature and you can enjoy delicious amazing drinks without giving the planet a hangover so that was the starting point before we even got to calvados see missed flights you never know what's going to happen right something gorgeous can come out of a missed flight so we're here to talk about drinking not only Avalon, but Calvados. Mm-hmm. We'll get to how you decided to to embark in making a, a new Calvados. But what did you know of Calvados before? Had it been part of your lives? Where did you even encounter yeah. it for the first time? I've been I've been a big fan of of Calvados for a while. So growing up in Cornwall, you you grew up around apples. It, you know, around here, there's a lot of apple orchards, a lot of local cider. You know, we've got two apple trees and a pear tree in the garden. So, you know, so you're kind of constantly surrounded in that. So I knew of, of you know, from my bartending days as well, of, of this fabulous apple brandy from France. It's one of the three great brandies from France, alongside cognac and armagnac, but it's the only one that's not made from grapes. And also Cornwall has very strong connections with Normandy, which is where Calvados is made. Oh. Yeah, so it's quite funny to be as a shared historical language which is actually where the name Avalon came from. So it means apple tree in both Old Cornish and Old Breton. Old Breton is the language of, of Normandy, or the historical language of Normandy and Brittany. And the, the shared languages of Cornish and, and Breton are almost identical. Um, so there's that. There's also so the distillery where Avalon is made is about 40 kilometers from Mont Saint-Michel, which is the, the big tourist attraction. Uh, and where I grew up in Cornwall is about 
10 kilometers from St. Michael's Mount, which is the, the English version of Mont Saint-Michel. It's no exactly way. the same, kind of a monastery on a rock out at sea that you have to get to by a causeway. And so there's lots of those kind of yeah, historical famous, connections. It, it's not as famous, but we still have a proper causeway. We didn't, we didn't build a road. So ours is still very <laughs> traditional. And Do you get 4 million visitors a year? Okay, wait, wait, wait. It's a lot of visitors. So, <laughs> but, but we digress. So, yeah, so I, you know, I'd known about Calvados for a long time um, and had been a big fan of it. But we, you know, it wasn't, we didn't set out to make a Calvados. You know, but it was mm. a category that we knew of. We'd, we'd have a lot of friends that have gone out and made made brands in categories that they love. They've got like, I love rum, so I'm going to go out and make a rum. Or I love tequila, so I'm going to go out and make a tequila. We came at it from a very different angle, as Steph already uh, alluded to. And it was that that kind of goal to create the world's most planet-positive spirits brand and show that you can make a successful brand that turns a profit and do good for the planet at the same time. And that that was the goal for what we wanted to do. We had no idea whether we were going to make a Calvados. And it was through a lot of research that we did that we ended up at Calvados. Now, Steph, what was your relationship with Calvados? Because you're from um, France. All right, we, we have a bit of a mishmash at home. My dad's Colombian, my mum's British. You know, we were raised in France in, in Burgundy wineland. My parents have always been in the drinks trade. So there's been all forms of booze kicking about the house from from my youngest age. I used to <laughs> I used to tell my friends my parents drank gold because they had little minis of Goldschlager in the freezer, which if no one knew was huge in the eighties, nineties, and it just this this like aniseedy spirit that had bits of gold leaf. Yeah, yeah, of course. I never knew my dad loves that. My dad loves Goldschlager. I know it's, it's retro. It's a parent know, it's thing, right? <laughs> parent things. Well, yeah, parents drink gold, right? Not, not that any of we do. So, no, obviously exposed to a lot of it, and then growing up in in a rural agricultural kind of winemaking setting in in France, like you're exposed to cognac, Armagnac, Calvados, and all forms of eau de vie. And actually, you know, interestingly enough, Calvados is specific to the region of Normandy and and the Aussie, the original kind of geographical region that defines that production but you can make apple brandies or de vies elsewhere in france and so what tends to happen and it is the kind of the original method of why they even the category exists it's just a form of preservation but the truth is what really floats my boat with calvados it, it is the terroir it is the fact that you've got this you know beautiful production process from blossom all the way to bottle the transparency of the raw material it, it is far more similar to the world of wine than it is potentially to the world of gin. And I remember when I, I started my career at Diageo, I'd already done my WSCTs up to level three. I, I joined as a grad. I was 22. And I had my first trip up to Scotland. And I was asking them a bunch of questions over at the Glenkinchy distillery. And one of them was, well, where's, where's the cereal from? This barley, the raw material, because that's what I knew. And what was the harvest like? And what's the land? And what's the terroir? And what was the climate? And they just all looked at me like I was crazy because the story <laughs> for them really began, if at anything, you know, germination, maybe fermentation. And obviously the big thing they like to talk about is the distillation and the maturation. But I, I always felt like we were missing that, that starting point of what you make it from. And that's something that you find again in the world of Calvados in a way that's just t- totally mesmerizing. Okay, for people who might not know what I'm even talking about, what is Calvados? Maybe you can talk me through literally what it's made of and how it's made. 
I'll, I'll give a headline and then and then Tim can fill in on specifics. Okay. Calvados is French apple brandy. Brandy is a spirit made from a fruit. So this is a spirit made from a fruit that must be made in France and must be made in the region of Normandy. The fruit must be apples and or with some pears. And the rules around Calvados is that everything has to take place in Calvados or the apples, the orchards, the pears must all be within Calvados, there's very specifics about when you harvest, how you harvest, pressing of the juices, fermenting of the juices into ciders, how you distill. You can use column stills, pot stills, but the big rules is that it must be aged for a minimum of two years in French oak barrels. So it is a French apple brandy aged for a minimum of two years in French oak barrels. That is what Calvados is. So even in Cornwall, with which has its own Mont Saint-Michel, yeah, so that's, that's not Calvados. No, the easiest way to think about it is, is brandy and cognac. So you can make apple brandy from, from apples anywhere in the world. But you can only make Calvados in Normandy. Like you can make brandy from grapes anywhere in the world. But you can only make cognac from the region of yeah. cognac. So or tequila and mezcal, yeah. you know, it's, it's a similar, it's very... It's a very specific regulated type of apple brandy. Now, when you were starting to, to think about making a Calvados, who was drinking it? Did it have a reputation? You know, Calvados is generally, it, it has a, a big reputation of being drunk at Christmas. So a lot of people have it at, at Christmas. And then a lot of older people drink it as a digestive after dinner or in France, quite often between courses, you have a, like a little, a little nip courses and then we also found that bartenders the bartenders actually really love it and so you know when we started to talk to bartenders about calvados everyone was just like yeah we love we love calvados so people like eric lawrence um declan mcclurk <coughs> ago from the connor all of these bartenders like just adore calvados but because of the way the category had been in decline and all of these these brands that were resting on their tradition and the old way of doing things they hadn't engaged with this new cocktail revolution and, the, and these top end bars, the and kind of and the, that's the, really exciting. Yeah, and the spirit kind of got forgotten a little bit. So, but you know, when you taste it, and we're like, well, who doesn't love apples? You know, so delicious. Was it like a? Oh my goodness! Of course, we have to do Calvados once you did your research on your spirits. Yes, but yeah. also, oh my goodness! Wait, what? Why has no one done this? Are we mad? I, we ended up in Normandy, you know, we tried so many things. We started talking to, you know, some of the top guys in the trade, but also to friends and family. And and we were just, everyone was like, oh, but it's amazing. We love it. Well, why don't you drink it? Oh, well, I don't know. Oh, okay. And then there's no big global spirits group invested in the category. And oh, there's been no innovation for a bazillion years. And wait, okay, but all the liquids are quite heavy and brandy-esque and like really, really aged and going towards like Christmas cake, but actually shouldn't it be fresh and vibrant and zesty and taste of apples? And so just very quickly, we kind of unpicked it and there was just this absolutely huge hole for some form of innovation and it's just staring at us in the face. And when something's that obvious, you've got to ask yourself, surely we're not the first people to spot this opportunity. But I think we were the first people to look at it in the way that we looked at it. You know, so we we had set out on this mission to create this this purposeful brand and, and the world's as we call it the world's most planet positive spirits brand. And the research that we did into raw materials, so we said, all right, if we're going to start a brand that's going to have these sustainability credentials and be better than anything else on the market, we have to go right back to the very start. You know, and this goes back to to Steph's 
kind of love of terroir and the f- agriculture, uh, you know. And so, we are, right, we're going to go back to the raw materials and we're going to start our, our questioning at the raw materials. So we looked at all of the raw materials that are used to make alcohol. So sh- grains, sugarcane, garvés, and grapes. And then we assessed them on four separate metrics. And so we looked at climate change, biodiversity loss, water usage, and pesticide and fertilizer use. And through this bit of research, the apples came out on top, hands down. We scored each one out of 20. So I think sugarcane scored four out of 20 and apples got 18 okay. out of 20. So we were like, we have to go with apples if we're going to be true to this goal that we want to have and this mission that we're, we're going to set ourselves on. And that's what really led us to the, the journey of, of Normandy and, and Calvados. Um, and then what we found is that there's... It's, as Steph alluded to with her trip to Glen Kinchy, what Calvados has that maybe some other categories are missing is this love of both the agricultural side of the production and also the industrial side. You know, so Calvados very much starts in the orchards. And the orchards are such an important part of the process. Whereas maybe with Scotch, you don't really talk about the the fields of barley and, and how they they grow and all of the the intricacies there and they're starting to there's a lot of sort of field to faints and there is an evolution and you've got sort of Jura that are doing some great things as well but but definitely 10 15 years ago no and I think interestingly if you look into sort of what's been really booming recently i.e sort of the world of gin yes there's all the spiel around the botanicals but but really the origin of that botanical becomes the story versus the base spirit that you're drinking and you know nine times out of ten you're drinking grain and then when you sit and you sort of are in a bar and you're looking up at the shelves of all these beautiful sort of sparkly bottles, you come to realize that there's just a total lack of biodiversity. We have been drinking monocrops for the past 50 years and industrialized at high scale, and of which 90% of that back bar, by the way, belongs to a global group. So this kind of concept of independent craft spirit brands, everything's branded to look indie and cool and independent, but you are just feeding huge conglomerates and, you know, sort of stock exchange level businesses. And so, I don't know, I think we feel really, really passionate about actually investing in a small rural region. Calvados has up until recently been in decline. The category has, has, has not seen booming sales all around the world because they just haven't known how to market the stuff. But saying that, it's not as if you can move to Normandy, grow your own apples. That would take a long time to have your own orchard. Yes. How was it to go into an area that doesn't see new people. Yeah, thank God. Stephanie not only speaks French, Stephanie has this wonderful ability of speaking multiple languages, but Steph (laughs) speaks with the accents in each individual language, which is a a real talent. So when when she goes to France, she sounds French. And when she's in England, she sounds English. And when she speaks Spanish, she sounds Spanish. So when we we rocked up and, you know, Steph sounds like a local, I think that that really helped. (laughs) I was going to say, did you practice your Normandy dialect before? Uh, you just, you just got to be, you got to be people of the land, you know. I think, and you, Tim, Tim has been a fervent vegan for twenty years, and thank, thank gosh, he has, right? Because he balances out some of, some of our kind of carbon footprints. But you know, rocking up with a vegan into Normandy, we can get a man food, an anglais that won't eat eggs or cheese, and, and they're no. very <laughs> you. You ate a lot of apples. <laughs> no, not even that. Um, um, there was this hilarious time that we, we drove down and our distiller called the, the hotel 
Because we were running a bit late. A bit late. We were in an electric car that couldn't charge. We were eight hours late. It wasn't the car's <laughs> fault. It was the, the France's charging Charges network. Well. So the, we, we arrived at the hotel and they'd put the, the, the food in the room. And Steph got to her room. She had like breads and cheese. And, this, and I got there and there was a plate on the side. <laughs> and what they'd done is they'd grated some carrot and then cut <laughs> up some cabbage and, and cling filmed it onto a plate. So I was like, you've literally made me a plate of coleslaw, but without the mayonnaise. And they thought that, oh, was, that was a, that was my main meal. And then my my I got a card that said Mademoiselle Stephanie Jordan, and Tim got Tim Judge in brackets Le Vigan. Right. <laughs> I love it. So so saying that you're at least you got to a distillery they called the hotel. So I knew you're you yeah. now you're working with the distillery. But yeah. to back up just a little, was it difficult to find someone to work with? We were lucky. I think we this is where we lucky. feel that, you know, everything for us is, is kind of connected and, and sort of just magically found its way to, to, to fit together. It, no, it should have been really, really hard. I expect it wasn't, <laughs> well, you know, right person. And, and this person is called Pierre-Martin Neus. He's third generation, private distillery, the third biggest one actually in Calvados um, that owns his own orchards in part. And actually makes his own cider so complete and utter traceability and we actually met his his father before we met him and just one of those fusional instant like this is this is it relationships and without that that none of this would have been possible and so he saw your vision yeah 100%. pierre is is one of the younger calvados i think he may be the youngest owner of a, a large Calvados distillery. And he doesn't come from a traditional Calvados background. He came from banking in the US, working in mergers and acquisitions, and then came back to take over his father's business. So I think it was a, partly also a case of, of two young people turning up going, hey, we want to make Calvados the next hot thing. And him just going, oh my God, some young people that know what they're doing. Please be my, please be my friend. <laughs> Literally, that's what happened. You know, but you can say that you know, you could call it, we manifested this story through doing good stuff and what we wanted to do. But, or you could say it was luck. You know, but meeting Pierre was was a major, major part of, of our journey towards Avalon. And we'd met a few other people, you know, and we, we'd had conversations with some other distilleries and it never quite felt right. They were always trying to push what they thought Calvados was onto us rather than taking on what we wanted Avalon to be and then producing that. They were always like, this is what Calvados is. It always has sugar in it. It always has, has some caramel in it. And that's what you're going to have. There's no discussion about mm. taking the sugar out and doing a Calvados that has no sugar, no caramel, no boise. We don't do that. Whereas with Pierre, it was just like, I'll, whatever you want, I can make it, which was very refreshing compared to some of the other producers we spoke to. So I know you have these rules to make Calvados, but I assume that the end product tastes different or you wouldn't have different Calvadoses. So how long or what was the process to make the Calvados that you liked? It didn't take that long at all, actually. We met with Pierre and we told him what we wanted. We were very keen on a young Calvados. Despite all Cal no, Calvados on the market, the entry into the category has got older and older and older. It's gone from thin to VS, now to VSOP. Hardly as a, as a res response to declining volumes and, and aging stocks in the warehouses. But all of the people that we spoke to, all the Calvados experts, they were like, 
Calvados's best at a young age. It, mm. it ages quite a lot in the barrel and, and changes rapidly. And it goes from being this fresh, vibrant, floral apple flavor through to kind of much more dry fruits and spicy flavors. And like really old Calvados can taste like, like aged rums, heavily aged rums. So we wanted something that was young, fresh, vibrant, uh, and without the sugar, without caramel, without boise, so a completely natural product. And it it didn't take us long, to be honest, with working with Pierre to to get to to a product that we were really, really happy with. It was also we were we were moving with pace. You know, I've spoken to a lot of people who've gone, oh yeah, I spent we spent two years perfecting the recipe for for this, but I'm like, what are you doing? What? Wasting two years where you could be building a brand and selling a product, you know. So we moved with pace. We we tasted a lot of different distillates, but I, I guess it took us less than maybe a month to to come up with a Calvados that we were really really happy with. And I think that goes back to also clarity of vision, right? If you know what you want, and and I love that Tim said manifest, right? It's just a matter of making that thing manifest in real life, and and we were just both so in tune and so on that kind of same page for of what we were going after yeah we just everything as i say i don't want to make it sound easy because it's not and actually getting to launch was the easiest part since then selling and growing the business is the much harder part but it, it yeah everything just serendipity destiny has a way of doing things what was your vision for your calvados what was the idea that you had when you went in of how people would consume it that I would say is something we knew implicitly. Given both our backgrounds, we knew the power of perfect serves. We understood that we needed a really simple way for people to drink this with a mixer and a garnish. And actually, as much as we love the on-trade and bartenders and want to actively work with them, for us, this was about finding our way into people's home bars and becoming a staple. And for that, you know, it was very much the, the gin and tonic vision. We know why gin has boomed. It isn't just about gin and juniper. It is so much more about mixability, experimentation, personalization. But it goes down to a simple thing, you know, no more than two ingredients, ice and a garnish. And um, Avalon Calvados, drunk with a tonic, ice and a slice of apple is the simplest, most delicious, refreshing thing. And, and you know, launching in a market like the UK, we knew that people would be ready for that kind of serve, right, Tim? Absolutely, absolutely. Were you thinking always, I want this to go with tonic? It had to be a long mix, refreshing. I think that the tonic piece, it just, it works well and it's um, easy to understand. People understand mm, and tonic, right? So, but ginger ale, some people prefer it. It's a little spicier. It brings a bit more of autumnal flavors into into the drink. Apple juice is fantastic as well. Bit of lemon works. The point being, it, it's just about mixability. Mm-hmm. Tim, Mount, Mountain Dew was my preference. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the to- also with tonic, it is how it's drunk quite often in Normandy as well. So it does go back to to the local roots, and a lot of Normans will drink when they drink Calvados, which is. Just surprisingly not as often as you would imagine. It's, it can be quite hard to find Calvados in bars and restaurants in Normandy. But when they it's do crazy. drink it, it's quite often. Yeah, it's mad. It's like if you, you know, when you go to Scotland, if you go into a local bar and say Dufftown, you can literally only get scotch. Yet if you walk into a bar in Normandy, just around the corner from the distillery, and you're like, can we have some Calvados? They're like, and that's a real, I, I think we have some. That's but, a real thing. Yeah. They've, um... 
The Normandy people, apparently, are very different to the Brittany people. The Brittany people built ships and explored and came back and were full of, of, of pride and confidence and, you know, almost that regionalism. And the Normandy folk are just much more rural and more inward and more inland. And for a long time, the region was, you know, held as the larder of Paris. They had all the cows, the camembert, the the cheeses, the the creams, the butters, you know, and cider was was a drink of peasants, right? And so they were just really contained in that energy, and it continues to be that way. I mean, the AOC of Calvados is actively trying to work with the Normandy region and the department to try and get some more of that local pride. It's the second most visited place in France after Paris. You know, there's huge opportunities, and they're just, yeah, they're not going for the low-hanging fruit, so... We are here to try and help because it deserves a little bit more recognition. And going on from that about breathing some new life into this, I'd really love to talk about how you brought sustainability to your company and how that manifested itself. Sure. Right from the start, we set out to create a brand that was true to ourselves after those years of working at Diageo and living those luxury lives. We weren't true to true to our hearts. So creating a brand that was extremely sustainable, but also came from the land and spoke of terroir and nature was really me and Steph being very true to ourselves. So that sustainability element was super important. And, you know, as someone that gave up eating meat at the age of 21 and has campaigned against environmental destruction most of my life, it was really important to me that we set a new benchmark for sustainability within the drinks industry. Um, and the whole journey of that really starts in the orchards. So if you look at almost all raw materials that are used to make alcohol, they are all grown in a monocrop. This mono, modern agricultural technique where you take a vast area of land and grow a single crop in it, whether that be corn to make your bourbon, rye, and barley and wheat for scotch and sugarcane for rums, increasingly agave as well. You know, they're cutting down mm. natural forests to grow agave fields. And it's having a huge environmental destruction. Monocrops had the biggest impact on loss of biodiversity of anything, along with beef farming. So for us, it was really important that we had a raw material that wasn't a monocrop, that wasn't responsible for enormous biodiversity loss. Um, so looking at the very traditional orchards of Normandy, you know, they are what you imagine a, a very traditional European orchard to be. They're small, contain maybe 10 different varieties of trees. So one of the, the rules in, of mm. Calvados is you're not allowed to plant the same species of tree next to each other in a row. So you'll have 10 different types of, of or species of apple tree in an orchard. Quite often you have pears in there as well. Nice natural defense that so they will plant pear trees around the outside of the apple trees because the pear trees grow taller and the roots grow deeper. So they act as a natural wall to protect the apples inside. And then you have a hedgerow around the outside, which obviously brings great biodiversity. The, the trees are planted five meters apart. And then you have grass in between. So you've got a meadow um, habitat as well so you've got this really rich mosaic habitat of mm. of three habitats kind of coming into one rather than it being you know and i've been to the cornfields in america when i worked on bullet and you know you can get out of the car and look at 360 degrees and all you can see is corn 
nothing but corn like mm-hmm. no other plants no no animal like nothing but corn in the road and that was great to have these very traditional old-fashioned orchards that were such a beautiful space for biodiversity um, so we started off from the agricultural side being in a great place and then in the region that we're made has been pesticide free since 2016 there's no no artificial irrigation in the orchards. They rely on natural rainfall and water is the most commonly used ingredient in producing alcohol. So that was really great as well, that there's very low water usage when it comes to making Calvados. And then from the production side, you know, you literally take the apples from the orchard to the cidery or the distillery because where we're made is one of the few distilleries that has orchards, cidery distillery maturation and bottling plant all on site you know all you do is you you press the apples and you get juice out and then you can ferment the juice there's no need to malt you don't have to malt it you don't have to add extra water there's no cooking of anything there's just nothing you just juice the apples and and that's it we you know and it's made it even wild fermentations there's no even any yeast added we rely on the natural yeast on the skins of the apples and also in the air for the fermentation so at every single step of the process, Calvados is a step ahead of the game when it comes to sustainability. You know, extremely low energy use in converting from apples into, into the cider. Extremely low water usage, great agricultural product. Yeah, it was just a win-win all round, really. And then, you know, once we, we've got the liquid, then the rest of it is fairly easy. And what everyone else is doing, you know, super lightweight bottle, the our labels are made from uh, waste apple pulp and also kind of recycled wood fibers. We don't use any toxic chemicals on our label. So quite often you'll see bottles that have those metallic foils, you know, and you'll see lots mm-hmm. of spirits bottles, you know, and they, they really stand out on the shelf and they give a real pop and look amazing. But those inks, those dyes are used quite toxic chemicals to make. So we use completely natural inks and dyes. Our cork, and our stopper is undyed and unvarnished natural cork, which helps protect the rich biodiversity of the cork forests in Portugal. We don't use a plastic tamper-proof seal. We use a paper one. You know, On our boxes, our shippers, we only use a single monochrome print, which reduces in process. We don't use bleached cardboard. So every step, we have always asked ourselves the question, is this the most sustainable decision we can make at the price point? You know, and that goes through everything. So for who we bank with, to what cars we hire, to what our business cards are made from, you know, every single aspect of the business. And we try and incorporate uh, that sustainability question. And Steph, you can tell me about your relationship with bees because you are the queen bee of Avalon. Why did you decide that each bottle, a percentage of it would go to bee conservation? Where did that link come in? So I think, again, looking back at this production process and and biodiversity, ultimately, all of this wonderful world of of apples and calvados entirely depends on wild bees doing their thing and pollinating our blossoms. And the truth be told is that wild bee species are, are in decline, more than just in decline. They're under complete and utter threat of extinction. And our very survival depends on on them thriving. And it depends what you define survival to be. But if you like eating and drinking anything but bread, then then you kind of want bees to stick around. And so it was just a really simple way for us to start to articulate some of our beliefs. Now, 
be positive for us is an attitude. It's a philosophy by which we live at Avalon and specifically working to preserve wild bee species. Is, it's a simple way to start to articulate some of the good work that we want to do. Ultimately, at the size of business that we're at, you know, we have to work in through organizations that are dedicated and specialized in doing this preservation work. But hopefully as we grow, we're going to be able to create a sort of trust and a fund within the company itself. And, you know, who knows, one day appoint a kind of head be positive honcho, which I think Tim will probably take as his sole and unique role, whereby our good work goes beyond just preservation of habitat for bees, but into some more urgent issues that there are around the environment and, and beyond. There's a thing that we're really passionate about and we want to start talking about a lot this year, which is gender equality. There's a lot of data that started to showcase that there is a direct correlation between closing the gender gap between men and women and educating women in, in poorer rural regions and how we can actually start to combat global climate change. So ultimately, what we really care about from a meta perspective is to preserve the planet so that we can all continue to live and hopefully in harmony with Mother Nature. And caring for the bees is, is one kind of chapter of that. I think that's a really important part to, to expand on is that piece of research and the reading that we've been doing around the climate crisis and how we can mitigate the worst effects of, of climate change. Because this is not a, a, a battle of stopping climate change. Climate change is here and it's already happening and it's going to get a lot worse. But so our battle now is to minimize the, the effects of it as much as possible. And the single biggest thing that we can do to help reduce global carbon emissions is the education and empowerment of women in in rural and low-income areas. It has a bigger impact than driving, you know, if we all switched to driving electric cars or turned our electricity to be renewable or went vegan, you know, so it's really important that if we're going to be true to our sustainability ethos of being the world's most planet-positive spirits brand, that we address that issue and we are actively working to, to help educate um, and empower women within those communities. Well, I know as a consumer, I want to be drinking those things that I know are helping the world. If I have to choose, I'm going to always pick that one, the world positive one. And so I think getting the message out there as you've done is the first step. That's why it's great to be promoting these and drinking it. I just think ultimately, you know, the attitudes are shifting. We're, we're, we're in the middle of a, of a pandemic, which has caught us all off guard. And this kind of trend, as some of them have called it, sustainability is here, is here to stay. Yeah. Yeah. And the conscientious kind of, we'll call them a consumer or call them a citizen. You know, we, we aren't just here to consume. We aren't just here on this planet to take, take, take. We are here to live in community and harmony and balance. So that conscious citizen has actually come kind of to the foreground in a much more accelerated fashion due to the pandemic. And so in that there is a positive. A lot of people have said that they would never change and they have. And I think yeah. the important thing is, is not to hold people accountable just for what they did in the past, but it's really to celebrate people that are making those small proactive changes. And so we believe in the power of collaboration. We believe in the small changes that we can make in our day to day. You know, it's easy to feel 
small and faced with governments and policies, but actually every single purchase you make is is a vote for the planet. And so I think people get it with food and it's time that that trickles down into drink. Yeah, let's not be around the bush here that this is the single biggest challenge and threat that our species has ever faced. You know, nothing, nothing, well, no, there's no world war, no coronavirus that even comes close to being the threat that global climate change is. So we have to take serious action. And it's not about what you did yesterday or what you've done in your past. It's about what you choose to do today and you choose to do tomorrow and going forward in the future. That's what's going to make the difference. So choosing products, choosing brands, choosing services that are actively working to combat climate change and environmental destruction has to start and has to... They should be the only choices now because this is such a severe threat to our species and to all species on Earth. If we don't tackle it, the the future looks very grim indeed. God, I'm getting emotional. I'm sorry. When you started to talk about that and climate change being the worst thing that is happening to our world right now, a little bird just started to sing with you as if it was either underscoring or pro- proclaiming how important yeah. that message is. In fact, the little bird is still singing. You know, it's, it, it is a frightening message to say, but it doesn't mean that it's all doom and gloom because what we have now is we have the opportunity in front of us to create such a beautiful future, you know, a future that is free from pollution, that embraces nature, that is sustainable and stable for future generations, that is we live at one with the planet, whereas at the moment we are at war with nature. We, we destroy nature for, for money and for, for personal profit and gain. Yet we have the opportunity now, and we're beginning to take little steps towards it, to build such a beautiful world for the future You know that, that doesn't do any damage, that that thrives and embraces nature and encourages it. And that, for me, is is such an exciting, beautiful opportunity that we have. It, it's extremely exciting. Now, let's talk about drinking it because we want to enjoy it because we, we, we're changing the world. And so someone's got the bottle, they bought their tonic, they know the Avalon and tonic. What other ways? You know, I've, 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 I've sent you these ideas of you're in a Normandy castle and it's cold out there. You know, give me some ideas of how you could work with Avalon to create the cocktail that you want to drink. So in the, in the Normandy castle in the winter, you could have a couple of options. So it makes a delicious toddy. So some Avalon, a little bit of sugar, spices, hot water, or probably honey, actually, instead of, instead of sugar. You know, that really rich, because you just get that kind of nice, mulled cider warm cider kind of a flavor super delicious and then the other way is is how it's very commonly drunk in normandy which is with hot coffee you know so using it in your yeah your cafe color you know so even like a an irish coffee style you can use it brings brings in some nice apple flavors or just direct with a some nice coffee what's great about avalon is it just brings apple flavor to things so it plays very well with other spirits it fits very well in other drinks. There's a good friend of ours who you know too, Susan, who says that, that every cognac cocktail is improved by using Calvados instead of cognac. Ah. 
you could also just drink it neat because it is 11.39 in the morning and I've been sipping on it since we started talking. <laughs> but that wasn't the intention. And I actually think there's not that many chateaus in Normandy. It's, it's, it's really more kind of the, you know, old school Tudor-esque beanie farms. But just fresh apple juice is delicious yeah. if you've got that at hand. And if you don't, honestly, yeah, there's, there's all the old school ways. And then it just depends. It depends what you've got available you know we love sours but you know with debate whether citrus right now is is the most sustainable thing for us to be focusing on especially when we're in europe right and so whatever's whatever's in season really tends yeah. to be a really good option so i i remember you know growing up as a bartender well, growing up as a bartender I was, I was a bartender you know i i love classic cocktails and if you go back through lots of the old cocktail books you know from the turn of the the 20th century and then maybe a bit later, there are lots of old Calvados cocktails in there, like the Pan American Clipper, the Delicious Sour, and the Jack Rose, which was taken by the Americans and turned to Applejack, but lots of great old cocktails. And I find that you can add a little bit of Avalon into these drinks um, and bring that little bit of apple flavor. One of my favorite drinks I had last year before getting into lockdown was a, was a Sazerac Twist with Plantation Pineapple and Avalon. Was just a, like a tropical, floral, appley, fruity twist on a sazerac, and it was so delicious. Every Avalon sazerac I've had has been absolute bliss. Now, on the reverse side of not the winter in the castle, but the winter in the the farmhouse, we're going right to the beach. Mm. Would you just grab a six pack of tonic and a bottle of Avalon? What would you put in your thermos to take to the beach? For friends, I, mean, I lived on a on a tropical island in the middle of the Indian Ocean for two and a half years of my life called Reunion, and the most delicious way. And they were obsessed with Johnny Walker, and they would drink Johnny Walker Red Label by just pouring it straight into a fresh coconut, and like fresh coconut milk and or water ultimately, and and scotch is amazing. And actually, doing that with Avalon is even better. Uh, it's bright, it's vibrant, it's refreshing. It's got subtle sweetness of which all of it is totally natural. And so yeah, I'd, I'd just pour Avalon into coconuts. That's what I'd do. Oh my God, that sounds amazing. Now, this can be Avalon rated, related or not, but I always ask my guests for the top tips for the home bartender. My, okay, I'll, I'll do a tip, tip one and, and then Tim can follow with his. My first tip is ice. Ice <laughs> is always such a joke at home. What are you saying? I took your one. No, no, it's so funny. Every, literally, everyone I interview starts with ice. It starts with ice. I could do a whole show on ice. In fact, maybe I will. You should. And also train whoever you live with to help make ice again. Because my partner uses up all the wonderful ice I make in my nice fancy molds. And then when I come to get one, there's just nothing left, Just, just empty molds in the freezer. Okay, you know what? Everyone, a lot of people have said ice. Give me your exact instructions on how you make ice. Is it that it just should be fresh or is there a specific way? One at a time. Yeah. First, because you, because you brought it up, Steph, first you tell me and then I Tim. I would say I am not that geeky. I think as long as I've got nice water and, the, you know, isn't full of chlorine and, and grossness, so a filtered water at a minimum. And I've got a freezer and a mold, then that's quite good. Like if I don't have a mold, I can use a big glass bowl or a Tupperware and I can smash into it. 
But the point is, I like chunky, big ice, and I'm just not a fan of buying it in plastic bags in supermarkets. So yeah, that's that's my ice tip. But it's pretty, pretty basic. Tim might have a way geekier version of it. Okay, Tim, remember, we're talking to the home bartender, so they can't whip out any sous vide machine or anything like that. What is your perfect way of making ice? So my you, my advice to the home bartender is to go to your local cocktail bar and and ask them for their their professional ice mix. It's a little secret that all bars have special ice mix. But that's what you need. What does that even mean? What is a special ice mix? Oh, you have to go to your bar and go go to your bar and ask the manager for their special ice mix. I think that you are teasing us. <laughs> when, I, when, I, when, I, when I used to be a bar manager, when we got new bar bags in, who were very fresh and young, we used to send them to the local bars to get a bag of ice mix. So it was just oh this God, fun little game where we, where we used to send people around the bars. We used to send them for fallopian tubes, ice mix, <laughs> and all sorts of funny things. You know what? When my boyfriend comes home, when he goes to the supermarket, he comes home and he has bought chocolate. He always says to me, oh, they were giving the chocolate away free with whatever he bought, whatever he was supposed to. And I used to believe I used to believe him. So I have one last question to ask you. Amazing. All right. And that's if you could be anywhere drinking right now, where would that be? And what would you be drinking? Steph? If I could be anywhere right now, Susan, I would be in Somerville, Boston with my little sister who I haven't seen for over a year, drinking heaps of Avalon tonics and giving her the biggest squeeze in the world. Tim? Where would I like to be in anywhere in the world? If I could be anywhere in the world right now, I would like to go back to my favorite country in the world, which is New Zealand. It's the most beautiful country in the world. So it doesn't matter where you are, whether you're in Auckland, Wellington, Queenstown, uh, Milford Sound, Nelson. Is there a specific cocktail there that you like or a specific drink that they make? So my very good friend, Jacob Bryars, created a drink that when he was the the bar manager at the Matterhorn, which is, unfortunately, it, it no longer exists, but it was one of the great bars of New Zealand and one of the only two bars from New Zealand that ever made it into the 50 best bars. And it was... As a young bartender in New Zealand, it was a church to cocktails. And the whole bar was designed around my favorite house in the world, which is Frank Lloyd Wright's um, Falling Water. So Jacob created a drink called Falling Water, which was 42 below Fijoa flavored vodka with sparkling water from New Zealand called Chi, which is like a herbal sparkling water and a slice of cucumber. And it was called Falling Water. And it's the most iconic New Zealand cocktail that I know of. And it just brings back so many happy memories of of being in New Zealand and friends and having that drink. And and I don't even like cucumber. I hate cucumber. But <laughs> And as a vegan, I don't know how you survive. Yeah, I know. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. It was so great to know even more about Evelyn, even though I know so much about it. And for you I to introduce Calfados and Evelyn to everyone. So hopefully the next time I'll, I'll be seeing you, we can toast together well, with an avalanche tonic or one of those delicious cocktails that you told me about. So see you soon, I hope. Thank you for your time, Susan. Stay yeah. safe. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful again chatting with you. <laughs> you we do. do miss you, Susan. Take care. I know I miss we'll you too. You. We'll see you soon at the Connaught for a drink. Absolutely.
done. Thanks so much to Stephanie and Tim for joining me on the show today. Now we know not to ask the bartender for his favorite ice mix. It's very rare to name a new cocktail, but I was lucky enough to do just that. And it's our Cocktail of the Week. Yes, I had the honor of naming our Cocktail of the Week the Queen's Knees. For those who make cocktails often, it's the Avalon take on the Bee's Knees, but invented by the Queen Bee herself, Stephanie Jordan. Add all of the following ingredients to a cocktail glass. I like a coupe myself. That's 30 mils of Avalon, one teaspoon of your local honey, and one dash of orange bitters. Stir with a teaspoon until the honey is dissolved, then top that all up with chilled champagne, and add a small orange peel for extra dazzle. Only a festive cocktail will do for the Queen Bee. Don't forget you can find Avalan at spiritskiosk.com and use the coupon a lush life 10 sk You'll find this recipe, more Avalan cocktail recipes, and all the cocktails of the week at alushlifemanual.com, where you'll find all the ingredients in our shop. In your life, sometimes you meet people who might not be your best friends, but make your life so worth living. That's how I feel about Stephanie and Tim. I was lucky enough to meet them a few years ago, and now my life wouldn't be the same without knowing them. The birds also feel that way. So if you live for Lush Life, make sure you're giving back to the bars or restaurants you love by donating or taking part in cocktail or food delivery where you live. Theme music for Lush Life is by Stephen Shapiro and used with permission. And Lush Life is always and will be forever produced by Evo Terra and Simpler Media Productions. Which leaves me to say the wise words of Oscar Wilde, all things in moderation, including moderation. And always drink responsibly and wash your hands and wear a mask. Next week, we'll be exploring how to drink Irish whiskey with the homeboy himself. Until that time, bottoms up. Thank you.